Thank you for joining me on Carolina Conservative. My name is Matt Gore. I am your host. Today I have a guest. Her name is Courtney Gills. She is a registered nurse and she is running for U.S. Congress in North Carolina's 4th District. Hopefully she will be part of the red wave that takes Congress by storm. I hope you enjoy the interview. And if you are in North Carolina's 4th District, you need to be voting for Courtney Gills. Again, enjoy the interview and thank you for watching. You're now listening to Carolina Conservative. So Courtney Gills is with me today. She is running for U.S. Congress in North Carolina. And um, Courtney, uh, thank you for coming back on the show with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. All right. Great. Um, when we last talked, you were you were on the show earlier. That was before your primary. And um, I think at the time, you didn't even know what your district was. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even know if you were even actually on the ballot yet. It was, you know, with redistricting and everything, it was crazy. So tell me, give us an update on the campaign. How are things going? Obviously, you won your primary. So that's awesome. So how are things going now in the general? Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm running in District 4, which now includes Alamance, Orange, Durham, Person, and Granville counties, and a little sliver of Caswell County in North Carolina. Um, and yeah, we went through multiple redistricting. So um, I won my primary in May, and we are like a week and a half from early voting starting for the mm -hmm. general, which has just been a whirlwind. And I'd say like the exciting thing is it's gotten so much more where I'm having to tell people, no, I can't come to something rather than having to just like scrounge up little, what, you know, what things can I pop into and making my own schedule? Now it's like three times a day. I have somebody asking me, Hey, can you come to this or come to this? And that's good. Cause that kind of makes it where instead of me having to create events, I just show up to other people's events, which is yeah. really nice. And so it's really busy. And right now we're trying to fill polling locations. Um, we saw that during the primary, um, the places that we staffed someone at the polls, we won by about a five percentage point higher, um, higher percentage rate. And so we really have a huge goal of staffing all the polling locations, which is very challenging with early, early voting. Absolutely. And I imagine that's a, that seems like a pretty big district. So that's, I'm sure a lot of polling locations that you're, you have to be concerned about. Yeah, just 162. No big deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Um, <laughs> So uh, moving on, the red wave, we talked about this the last time um, that you were on, you know, that talk really surged, I guess, before the primaries, and it kind of backed off a little bit, um, I think, maybe because of Republican screw ups, honestly, but um, now the polls seem to show that surge looks like it's going to happen. The Democrats are, are failing left and right, policies are failing, um, and it shows at the gas pump in the grocery store. So... With that being said, if, if we do have a true wave in the House and the Senate, what change what changes do you think will actually come true because of that? I really think the only thing that will happen is we'll just slow down the spending because I think that's what we're all seeing a you know a dramatic change in during this administration is like I think just since Joe Biden's been in, they've spent about six hundred billion extra dollars. 
um, which has caused, you know, this continued extreme rise in inflation. So we're still going to have Biden as president. And so we're not going to be able to make much legislative changes, but we can at least slow down the changes that are being made right now. And I think that's that at least allows the market to catch up to the inflation that we've already experienced. And so I've talked to a number of people that have lived through other um, recessions, depressions, whatever you want to call this right now, whatever mm-hmm. they define it as. Right. Um, I think that the people, you know, gas prices will come back down depending on supply and demand, but inflation in general, it, it never, the prices never really come back down. The inflation rate changes, um, but that price like us paying, at Chick-fil-A, we never go back to paying $8 at Chick-fil-A. And so what's really sad is, you know, the elderly community, they, most of them have fixed incomes. They're not making money anymore. Um, Lower income people, they're having trouble getting to work, putting food on their table. And so there's a lot of people who are really feeling this inflation. And so I think that's really what's on a lot of people's minds. And crime is another thing, which I think goes along with people feeling like they can't pay their bills. It just causes this domino effect of other problems. Absolutely. And you brought up a couple of key points that I want to hit on is, yes, you're right. Even if the Republicans take the House and the Senate, the the good thing is we can put a, put it on the brakes. Um, it's not so much that we're going to turn turn the tide yet. It's just slow it down, say no, and, and, and wait for two years. Um, but the other thing you said there, and, and I completely agree, I work with seniors, um, and you're right, they're on fixed incomes. They don't have a chance to go out there and, and recover from this in the market. So it is putting a lot of stress on seniors and their children who are now in between taking care of them and their, their own children. Uh, so you're exactly right. I look at my, <laughs> my retirement account and luckily I'm young, I can recover from it, but I look at my parents and the hit that they've taken, maybe they're not going to be able to retire in the next couple of years. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real problem. That's really hitting real Americans. Um, so, um, speaking of, you know, what, what, what we can do as, um, if we do take the house and the Senate, what needs to be investigated first? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, that's a long list. I mean, it's a hot topic, but actually it's interesting. The Democrats love bringing it up right now. So I might as well just ride the wave that they like to start. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's been going on for the past week. You know, they're grasping at straws, trying to find things that they can talk about to make Republicans look bad. And what I absolutely love is they keep throwing me into the mix with all these other more likely to win Republicans. And I'm like, hmm, does that mean that they're worried about me? So they have a little name in there. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of still talk about the 2020 election and even though I think Republicans have actually talked about it less, Democrats love to keep talking about it because, you know, it was us trying to infringe democracy or something um, by actually questioning lack of controls in our voting systems, which should not be a partisan issue. Um, But I think, you know, when you talk about like if I'm elected, you know, if we have a lot of Republicans in the legislature, I think we really need to investigate these January 6th prisoners that are, you know, in prison and have not had their day in court. Um, we talk a lot about justice in our community, and I would like to investigate other um, acts of injustice and people that are in the court system that are there when they shouldn't be. I think that there's a lot of instances of that. Um, and, you know, it, a lot of times is due to Democrat policy. And I think bringing a lot of that to light 
um, and really being transparent. I think my number one goal will be transparency in that we will not be able to legislate as much as we would like to. My number one legislative goal would be to stop executive orders, but I'm not sure you're going to get Joe Biden to sign himself out of being <laughs> able to write uh, law when he can't pass any law. And so that's my number one legislatively. But I think, you know, I joke, I'm going to start really quiet and nice and try and assess the situation. But if I realize I can't get anything done due to establishment politicians, I have full plans to wear a GoPro on my forehead and just walk around with an active YouTube channel at all times where everyone knows what's going on. And we're going to all learn what the truth is going on in Washington, D.C. And I think it will be, you know, spread like wildfire and all of America will be watching Courtney Gills for Congress um, online, live all the time. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. Yes. Let's get behind the scenes and uh, see the swamp for what it really is. I love that. And I agree. um, You know, there you could have said one of a hundred things that that needed to be investigated. But I agree. January 6th, it is what it is. There were. Uh, it's been overblown in the media and by Democrats and the January 6th committee, but there were true, there were, you know, crimes committed that day. Sure. But there should not be people sitting, wasting away in jail for a year with no day in court, no um, access to lawyers or their family or anything like that. They were, this is third world country kind of stuff here. Um, yeah, it's yeah. inappropriate. And I think they just need, I mean, the justice system is failing the fact that we don't even have, I mean, I just talked to a guy yesterday in Durham. It's the same problem. Like people just not even getting a court date and not yeah. feeling advocated for. And so I'd really like to look into those situations because I think once you're in the U S Congress, you have a voice, um, mm-hmm. and there's even things you can do locally to advocate for people where you just make phone calls for people and say, you know, this needs to get handled faster and it will get handled faster when I call if I'm elected. Um, But another person to investigate, I think, is Fauci. Um, I really think he has caused a lot of deaths and not just, you know, a lot of us like to talk about the vaccine. But I think just particularly, I like to call out the fact that no one ever set up fit testing for N95s, which is actually like a foolproof plan to prevent people from having COVID. But our genius Dr. Fauci never seemed to think of that one. And so I would love to really investigate the fact that he has just gotten, apparently he gets paid the most of any federal employee. And so, and he's just going to get to retire and go live in Florida like everybody else in the free country of Florida. Um, I don't know, (laughs) but that's probably what will happen. And so I think, you know, there needs to be a lawsuit against him. He shouldn't be able to get away with what he's done in the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, COVID, the, the there are multiple levels of multiple angles that, that need to be investigated between the approvals of the vaccines and the data and what's coming out now from, from Florida. Yeah, uh, talking about the adverse effects that were not investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fauci, yes, what he knew, when he knew, and the advice he knew he was giving that he probably knew was wrong at the time he was giving it. Yeah. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. I, I believe that a lot of lives could have been saved if money was not at the forefront. Um, but yeah, moving on. Um, so what has the Biden administration done that needs to be undone first? Well, there was a recent uh, executive order that Biden just put out that, 
said that if public schools didn't implement transgender bathroom policies, that they would no longer be giving the free school lunch program to those schools. And I actually just heard someone talking about, I don't know if this was the reason that they got rid of the program, but it was in one of my counties in Alamance County. It was a grandmother that takes care of her grandson said that he always was on the free school lunch program and now they just got rid of it recently. And she wanted to know, you know, she could, she could make a sandwich for her grandson, but there's other kids who wouldn't have any food. Mm -hmm. And she didn't understand why, you know, she pays her taxes and, and why we can't feed our children in public school. And it was interesting because it was at a town hall where there was a lot of different levels of government. You think that's like a school board question or county commissioner or state house rep. And I raised my hand and I was like, you know, actually that's a federal program. So can I answer that question? And I told them, you know, this executive order and I got this huge gasp because it was a room full of mostly Democrats and they, I don't think they knew. Right. And that, you know, there was a few people grumbling, like they didn't believe me. And I said, y'all go look it up. It's there. And I said, I don't know if that's the reason specifically here in Alamance County that the free lunch program went away, but my guess is Alamance County didn't want to comply with those rules. So I don't know. That could be why there's no free school lunch now. So yeah. I don't think that's just a manipulation of dollars that is actually well spent by the federal government. I think most of us would support children getting to eat lunch for free in public schools. Um, I, none of us want to harm children. We all want children to be able to study and focus. And, you know, that's something that I think is well spent. But when you tie strings to that money, that's when it gets really messed up. And we need to take those strings off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. And the executive orders. And I believe Obama did some of the same type things tying to transgender bathrooms, not specifically the school lunch, but tying federal money to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just taking advantage of the situation and holding, holding kids lunch hostage. That's ridiculous. Um, so what is moving on to more international um, dealings? What is the United States best strategy going forward concerning Ukraine and Russia? I think it's really complicated, especially with what just happened with this oil, um, what do they call them? Pipeline, the, the Nord Stream. Yes, the pipeline. That was the word. It's late. <laughs> no, I understand. Yep. You knew what I was talking about. Um, I think that's really complicated. Nobody knows why that happened. You know, people are saying, oh, well, Russia did it. Why would Russia literally like poke themselves in the eye? That doesn't make any sense. So I don't know who did that, but it obviously stirred the pot. It's interesting. I ran into a lady who's been here for like 20 years, but she's from Ukraine. And I asked her how it's been for her with all of this going on between Russia and Ukraine. And she was talking about how the place where she used to grow up, that it's totally leveled now, that she does still have friends and family there and they just want peace. And that she said a lot of them don't even care who wins, that the that the Ukraine government was corrupt even before this war started, that it wasn't necessarily good before that. And I think that's the information that we don't get here in America. Mm -hmm. We hear, oh, it was a free country. They had democracy. But she said that it was very corrupt already and that the people are the ones who are suffering right now and they don't even care whether it's Russia or Ukraine who's ruling them. They just want war to stop. And so I think that Again, it's a transparency issue. I think that if we're sending money over there, Congress needs to oversee that money. So if I'm in Congress, I'm going to go over there and find out where the money went. And we're not going to send more money over there without knowing that that money was well spent. And my guess is it probably was not well spent. And so I think overseeing expenditures coming from the federal government, we have a lot of mess right now internationally with China and Taiwan, with 
the Middle mm. East with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, I think we're setting ourselves up for a lot of strife and someone needs to get a handle on it. Right now we have a demented president who is not going to get a handle on it. Yep. Uh, and I think you're right. Um, I think the Afghanistan pullout showed our weakness and um, Putin has taken advantage of it and China most likely will as well. So you're right. There's a lot going on on multiple levels. Um, and I agree that most people in Ukraine probably just want it to be over with. It's not so much. And, and from my point as a, as a taxpayer and if, you know, a country that's dealing with their own problems with, um, we're in a recession, um, whether they want to say it or not. Um, we've got our own, we've got to, you know, fix our, get our own house in order first, I think. Um, so you mentioned something just now, and I want to ask, um, two questions based on that. Is Joe Biden fit to be president? And, uh, is what's next in line any better or worse? Yeah, I think when you uh, were talking about the Afghanistan withdrawal, you know, when those men were all brought home and Joe Biden went to go meet them, you know, supposed to be respectfully and kept looking at his watch. A lot of people kept talking bad about Biden then. But, you know, I've been we've all been watching him. And as a nurse, that's what I mean. Truly, I'm not saying dementia as like, I mean, I'm not diagnosing anyone. I'm just assessing what I've seen in other patients and. A lot of people who are losing their mind, they look at their watch. It's not a disrespectful thing. They're actually reorienting themselves because it's like the early stages of dementia. You like look at the time a lot. And I I think that's what was happening. It wasn't actually meant as disrespect. I think he's disoriented and he's not fit to be our president. And um, that's a really scary thing when we think of international issues that a lot of people have said, you know, the reason that that Russia didn't attack Ukraine when Trump was president is because Trump said he was going to blow up Moscow if they did it. And they were like, he might be crazy enough to actually right. do that. And he is crazy enough to do that, <laughs> to push that button. And so I think when you have that kind of strength, not that Trump was a perfect man by any means, but there is a strength there that the world respected. They might not have liked him or they may have talked bad about him, but they respected him. And they knew when he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And so you better not push the button, you know? And so, (laughs) or he might push the button. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, when you talk about the next in order, like if Biden's not president, we have Kamala who I would say might be worse because she actually does still have her brain intact. And I would disagree with pretty much everything she would want to do. Um, and then we have Nancy. So we have three people in line that I would say I would not want to be president of the United States. So hopefully in January, we don't have Nancy anymore. <laughs> even Democrats want that order. Like no. there's a lot of people who don't like Kamala and it's like not the people that you would expect to not like her. So, um, we're, we're in a pickle. We are, we are <laughs> we're in a pickle. Um, so, uh, Republicans are supposed to be, you know, about small government, fiscal responsibility, states' rights. Um, so if you could choose to close the doors on one government agency, what would it be? Mm. Well, that one's hard. That is. Mm. I, I have to go between the CDC or the Department of Education. But I have trouble because the CDC covers all the stuff that I, I think there's positives. Like you could reform the CDC and it could be good. So I think I'd say department of education. 
Yeah, that to me, that's that's the one. You know, I I, I love the you know the abolish the Fed or the you know ban the, you know get rid of the IRS. You know, I love that too. But I think the Department of Education is by far the the one that we we I mean we just don't need it. We don't need it. Yeah. States should be able to handle their education on their own. It's definitely. I mean, a I would support issue. my taxes going up in the state level for the funds to be able to come straight from the state, and us not Agreed. have to deal with the federal government being involved. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the education is definitely a local, a local issue, state level that that the federal government has no business putting their hands in, and usually when they do, they screw it up. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, and they also like make decisions that are across the board that don't that are not applicable. Like I live in Durham; it's very city, it's very urban. My husband grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Like the difference in those two areas for the federal government to be um, putting in some kind of executive order or even just regulations on those two different kinds of schools. They're just, they don't have the same kids in those schools. Or the um, same and, educational needs for the local economy or, I, or anything. Yeah. Like farming. Like you think in Iowa, people need to go know how to plant corn because there's a lot mm -hmm. of corn. You know, yep. they don't necessarily need to know that in Durham, like, but people kind of need to know certain trades in certain areas. And I think we need to focus on those things. So we have a, a educated workforce. Yeah. And I agree from, from the federal level, you can't get that granular. You need, you need that coming from the local establishment. Yeah. Um, so Courtney, anything else that you want to add or make sure that voters know uh, in district four before they go vote? Well, I always tell people that I'm a nurse and not a career politician. I am running against a career politician that's been in the school board, the county commissioner, the state house, and the state senate. She's done very little as far as success rate. She says it herself. She doesn't say she hasn't done anything. She just says that her um, most impactful thing that she did was stopping um, children under the age of 14 from getting married, which I'm not sure how many children under the age of 14 are getting married in North Carolina, but that was her most impactful thing out of her own mouth. And um, her solution to inflation is defunding military spending. So um, in this situation, like we're talking about internationally, I don't think we want to be defunding military. We want to be funding military, funding police. And um, I just want to be an advocate for real people and hardworking people. I came straight out of the workforce to campaign and we need to get rid of politicians that have never worked a real job. She may have worked a real job, but she on the side is, you know, apparently running our state. And so we need people that can understand what the working class is dealing with and empathize with that and advocate for those needs. All right. Uh, Courtney Gills, District 4, U.S. Congress in the state of North Carolina. If you see her on your ballot, check it. Whatever it is you're supposed to do, fill it in, check it on the computer. I'm not sure what the, the screen, what, what kind of voting systems you'll have there. But, um, yeah, vote for Courtney Gills. She's going to do a good job in Congress for us. Courtney, thank you again for being on Carolina Conservative, and good luck. Absolutely. Thank you so much.